Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode, we're on the phone with Kevin Doherty out of uh, Winfield, Louisiana. We're talking about uh, supplemental feeding, baiting, and then we really dive into the food plot discussion and, and what you need to do to be successful with your food plot. So it's going to be a great episode for us today. Uh, before we get started, as usual, we need to give a big shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. Cousin Smokehouse has two flavors of jerky out right now. They've got cane fire and traditional. And let me tell you, it's starting to get pretty cold in the state. Cane fire is going to keep you warm in the stand. So definitely grab a bag of either of those to put in your hunting bag for this season. And then Steve German's taxidermy art is the only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back in Louisiana. They've teamed up with Ty's Taxidermy in Vider, Texas as a drop-off point where if you're coming eastbound on I-10 out of Texas and you want to have your deer mounted, you don't have to cape it out and they'll take care of that for you if you drop it off in Vider. And then you pick it up in Westlake, Louisiana a few months later from Steve German's. Could not make it simpler for you. So y'all be sure to check both of them out online. Now let's get started on this week's episode. All right, guys, on this week's episode, we're on the phone with Kevin Darty out of Winfield, Louisiana, and he's the owner of Forestland Associates, LLC, uh, a consulting company for helping people maximize the potential of their property. So, Kevin, thank you for, uh, for joining us on this week's episode. Glad to be here, Kyler. Well, um, we've got a we've got an interesting episode for you tonight, and it's something that we've gotten a, a couple of messages about over the past couple of months. And you know, tech, technically, we're a little late in the season to be talking about it, but it's still a great topic for us to be covering. And we're going to be talking about um, food plots and also the difference between baiting and supplemental feeding. You know, Kevin's going to be taking the lead on this. I'm very much a, a feed tree hunter. I'm not much of a food plot guy. I'm actually not much of a deer lease guy myself. I, uh, I've i always kind of done the public land uh, small parcel thing of my own. And uh, so I'm looking forward to learning a lot from you tonight for sure. But um, let's let's kind of get kicked off here on, you know, where you're from how you got into this industry, your background. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm an old Texas transplant. Uh, I went to uh, college. Uh, actually, I'm, I was born and raised in Houston, believe it or not, and uh, went to college at uh, Stephen F. Austin 
uh, State University and got a degree in forestry and wildlife management there. Uh, worked on the a little bit. Uh, got to work at the Institute of Whitetail Deer Management and Research, which is housed uh, from there. And uh, got out of got out of college in '87. Went to uh, uh, went to work in Urania, Louisiana, in LaSalle Parish for mm-hmm. Louisiana Pacific. Uh, they had a hundred thousand acre land base there, and uh, worked uh, managing the timber and also was over the hunting leases we had probably 150 hunting leases so uh that was a a part of my job as well and then in uh in 2002 uh went to uh consulting louisiana pacific sold their land base and and so i got into the consulting business and uh in 2010 bought uh, a small firm from uh from the guy I was working for and uh, started Forest Land Associates LLC, and that's what we're doing today. Been doing it ever since, huh? Yep, that's right. That's, that's right. So, so when when's your when's your busy season then? Is it during hunting season or, or prior to it? Uh, it's prior to it. Um, there'll be a little flurry from you know we've we've kind of got a, a three legged stool uh, in our business, so to speak, uh, with timber management. Uh, and the forestry end of it, and we also uh, uh, do wildlife habitat consulting, uh, and we also sell um, rural real estate. We're a real estate brokerage too. Gotcha. So you know, and in, in in some of those things will will peak at different times. Um, you know, the but but most of the work, uh, you know, will will be done. Uh, you know, second and third quarters in the year, mostly, mm-hmm. um, you know, when it gets drier and everything, we usually try to have our timber sales early and then, and then, uh, just go from there. I got you. Okay. Well, um, so you are, we were talking before we, uh, before we started recording. So, um, you're a, a huge deer hunter. You, you kind of follow the, the legal seasons. You say you bow hunt, you rifle hunt. You, and then once it's right, once rifle season's over, you go back to bow hunting and, and things like that. But, um, you are primarily dependent on food plots on your property, right? That's right. Um, and back several years ago, we pretty much were dependent on, on baiting on corn. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and of course then the rice brand kick came and, uh, but, uh, you know, I was always intrigued by food plots. Um, I, I, but but at the same time, I was dissatisfied with the performance of my plots because, you know, I was all, always like a lot of people are kind of the two sacks of wheat, a sack of fertilized thrown in for good measure and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we we did all that right before the season and, you know, really um, didn't have the utilization of the deer like we, you know, we like I had always hoped it certainly not like I saw on TV, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, I mean, and, and, and I got to noticing that these food plots were great as long as you had about a hundred pounds of corn strewn out through them, you know, <laughs> yeah. once, the, once the corn ran out, not so much. Yeah. Um, and you know, I always thought that, um, and this was kind of before I, I, I started doing much, um, wildlife consulting um 
which is good, but I, 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 you know, I always thought, you know, we're here in the Piney Woods. We are 40 miles maybe from the nearest agriculture. You know, what if you could have agriculture here in the woods, so to speak? I mean, not in, you know, vast fields that, that they have, but, but if, if you actually did your food plots right, uh, amended the soil like you needed to and fertilized like you needed to, and, you know, we're particular about what you planted and tried to plant to provide uh, deer something to eat throughout as much of the year as possible. And you do that by mixing what you plant, um, the right combination of, of plants. Um, you know, I always thought that that would, that that would uh, you know, would, would be something that might set my stand site on a hunting club or my property uh apart from from the rest i mean i'm i'm pretty close to the kasachi forest here and uh and i mean you know my goal is to to really suck some deer off that national forest yeah absolutely onto my place and um you know provide them um uh, a place that that uh, they want to spend a disproportionate amount of time on mm-hmm. and and so and provide them a, a haven and a sanctuary if you will and so uh, once I started um, started putting all that work in the food plots you know uh, amending the soil getting the pH right taking soil tests you know liming and fertilizing based on that it is amazing, and I can't explain it scientifically. I mean, people say that well, it also they it tastes better or whatever when it's right when everything's right. But I don't know about that. But all I do know is is that now I don't depend nearly as much on corn. In fact, I've got some free choice feeders throughout my property, but they come to those food plots and eat just like they used to eat the corn. Mm-hmm. You know, it it makes a big difference. Absolutely, to, you know to do it right when you and i first spoke you told me a little bit about the uh, the importance of soil testing and how uh, for some for some reason people overlook it or don't do it or say i don't need it um tell us a little bit about why that's important and then also maybe some of your conclusions as to why somebody wouldn't do that and have a dismal plot potentially um tell us about that sure well you know, I guess the the reasons why they wouldn't do it would be, you know, it, it is um, a little more trouble. Now, if you're a deer nerd like I am, that's that just gives you something else, to, you know, to do. Yeah. And uh, and and you know, I, I enjoy all that. Um, they they may think it's it's too much trouble, or they may think it's some complicated process. Um, you know, and it's, and it's really not, um, it's, it's easy to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it tells you the, the problem with not knowing, um, what your soil needs is that you waste a lot of money on fertilizing and, and the, the pH on these, on these stands, these timberland soils, um, are almost always acidic, mm-hmm. um, meaning meaning the pH and try not to get too technical, uh, but the the pH is always low, which 
makes it acidic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, neutral is seven. Try to get you, you try to target somewhere in the six range. Our pH pH is around here and probably most places, even throughout the country that are heavily timbered, are going to be uh, acidic, going to be in that. Most of the most of the tests I take around central Louisiana wind up in the five point three to five point five, something like that. And so invariably what the soil test will tell you is you need a ton of lime to raise that pH up. Mm-hmm. And and what that does is if if your if your pH is not right, the nutrients uh, both that are already in the soil and that you would put out and fertilize, the soil bounds those nutrients and, and they're not available to the plants and so um you know the plant in in deer management terms the the plant is just something to get the nutrients from the soil into the deer Mm -hmm. um and and so if so not only if, if the if the ph is not right or the deer not getting the nutrients from the soil but but your fertilizer that you're putting out is not working near as well so that's why you know that 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 that's important um and i'll just real quick you know people think probably that it's a you know the you you go and get a a test kit and that sounds like you know when people think of test kit they probably think of uh test tubes and and uh chemicals and smoke and gloves and goggles and all that that's not that's not it at all uh you know um, what I do is, um, I, I go to the, uh, to the LSU ag extension office in one of the courthouses or my closest ones are in, uh, LaSalle parish or wind parish. And they have these test kits and the kits are free. Um, you pick up however many you need. And, um, in those kits, in each kit is three plastic bags and two pieces of paper. And that's it. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, you one plastic bag per sample, uh, and and you, the 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 two pieces of paper. One is essentially instructions, and the other is a form you fill out with your contact information and everything on it. And it also uh, gives you options of plants to list that you're going to plant, hmm. and then they will tailor that soil sample, you know, uh, information based on those plants and of course there's a whole lot of of ag and gardening and all that type of plants that that we wouldn't plant in food plots but there's also um the main ones you know oats wheat clover uh winter peas uh soybeans you know corn i mean what you know anything that the deer would eat is on there and uh so you find out based on what you're wanting to plant you know what uh, what your soil needs uh at, from a, a lime st- liming standpoint to mm-hmm. raise that ph to get it right and also from a fertilizer standpoint now uh, now when you, it, you you're, yeah you're talking about liming lime in the area that you're wanting to plant uh is that something that you do as you're planting is it something that you do prior to planting what's the timeline on that versus when you should be planting well, and, and that, that would be a good reason that we were having this talk now, even though, you know, food plots are, 
uh, I mean, folks are still sitting there watching them, but, uh, yeah. but as far as planting everything, um, that's, you know, not on everybody's radar right now. But the thing is, is what, what I recommend my clients do and, and I do myself is, um, I'll take, you know, as soon as it kind of starts drying up in the spring, um, just so you're not out there slopping in the mud, um, and, and you can get a, you know, get a good sample. Uh, I will take a sample soil sample in the spring, especially if it's a new, uh, a new food plot or a new property mm-hmm. that, that I haven't worked, you know, done anything to the soil or, uh, you know, or before, uh, I'll take that sample in the spring because I need to know the lime takes, you know, up to six months to really get incorporated into the soil and, and, and get to working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, folks that put lime out, even pelletized lime, um, you know, what, what I like to do if I can is put out ag lime. Um, but, but, you know, a lot of guys will buy pelletized lime because it comes in a, in a sack and it's easy to, you can spread it with a cedar, you know, a, mm-hmm. a fertilized spreader and they'll put that out, uh, at the same time that they're planting their food plot in September. And, and that lime is, 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 you know, needs time to break out and break down. And, and, uh, and so it's really not doing a much during the hunting, during that season. Yeah. And so really you need to start thinking about, um, about food plots, you know, in the spring, if you're going to really, really do it right, because, because you need, as soon as you can get in there in those, in those plots, um, you need to be, you need to be liming them, hmm. okay. putting your lime out and letting it, letting it break down and, you know, and, and get into the soil, um, you know, in, in that time over the spring and summer. So in, in your experience of doing this and, and, and doing, um, annual food plots year after year after year, is it kind of like the shampoo effect where you need less and less lime every year to get the, the right numbers that you're seeing? Is there some sort of carryover or is it almost like starting from zero every year? Well, no, the goal is to need less and less. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, of course we can get way bogged down in it, but, but the, the, the big deal there is the difference in pelletized and, and, and ag lime, um, ag lime cost pennies on the dollar compared to, compared to pelletized lime. Okay. Um, just, okay. I plant on, on my place, uh, I plant right at five acres um, and it would, I had it figured up if, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, it would cost me, I ended up, uh, putting out, uh, putting out five tons this past spring. Wow. I, I've only owned the place two years, put out, um, uh, put out five tons and a ton of, of, ag lime is not as much as you think i mean that that's a pile about the size of the hood of your pickup truck because uh, i i remember i'll never forget the first time i saw that i thought i got ripped <laughs> off uh, but uh but you know that was a ton 
was about, um, I think it was a hundred, a little over a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you talk about, uh, you know, 20 sacks of, of, um, the pelletize pelletize, um, at, you know, whatever, $5 a sack. Uh, it, it's, it's way more expensive and the pelletize lime will be gone next year. Okay. Ag lime will, I've seen it last up to five years. Hmm. Uh, so once you get your pH good with that ag lime, uh, yeah, you won't have that expense. You shouldn't. Now it is common. So, so I, I limed again, using my place as an example, I limed it in the spring. So I will take soil samples this spring Mm -hmm. and see where I'm at. And it's not uncommon for there to be an area or two that would might need a little more, um, you know, but, but I'm expecting that over most of it, uh, I should be good. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I didn't realize there were two different types of, of, uh, of lime like that. And one lasts longer than the other. One's easier to handle than the other. Um, yeah, but that's uh, that's good information. So um, now another thing about food plots that you had mentioned to me before, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about seeding, talk a little bit about um, annuals versus perennials. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of uh, what options the budget deer hunter has for doing a quality food plot, meaning somebody doesn't have a tractor and a disc and um, and. Uh, you know, something, uh, a culti packer or anything like that. Um, you know, what, what's some good tactics, if you will, for, uh, maybe a guy with nothing more than a, a four wheeler and, in a, in a pull behind, uh, a disc setup to, to get the best quality he can. So, um, you know, let's, let's start off with that. And then, um, kind of the, the budget, the budget minded hunter versus the, more of the uh, professional grade equipment type. Um, cause not everybody has access to that type of stuff. Sure. You know, Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and then let's get into the perennials and, and, uh, and then also you had told me some reasons why you weren't a fan of seed mixes. Um, mm-hmm. let's, and let's go into that next. So let's start off with kind of some budget minded, uh, food plot tactics that, that you, you may know of. Sure. Well, uh, you can certainly, um, use, use a four wheeler. You know, the problem with the discs usually that come behind, um, that, that you pull behind those is the problem is getting enough weight on them. If, if the ground is really rock hard, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like it, like it is so often in, you know, in, in September when, when you start, um, when you start planting, uh, and, and, uh, so, but, but the main thing is to, to get into a, get into a place where you have some sunlight coming through. I mean, there are species like clover that do pretty wet, that are pretty shade tolerant. Mm-hmm. Um, winter wheat, uh, will, will just about grow if you th- will just about sprout if you throw it on your driveway. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so there are species that are uh, plants that are better suited 
you know, for that kind of woodsy environment, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the, the key is to scratch the ground. I mean, if, if I was doing, you know, uh, um, gosh, not even a, a quarter acre, just something say to, um, uh, uh, Grant Woods calls them hidey hole plots, you know, yeah, something yeah. I was going to bow hunt over, say, uh, in the, in the woods or whatever. Uh, the main thing would be to, to get some way to scratch the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would do first, I would go in with a pump up sprayer and spray, uh, if I can, if I can, of course, all this is, is, you know, assuming that you're not breaking any lease rules or landowner rules and all, you know, all that, most of the hunting leases, yeah. you know, that you can put out, you know, you can put up, out, round up, whatever. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I would go in with a, with a backpack sprayer and a pump up sprayer and, and kill the existing, um, grasses and weeds and whatever with, with that, um, give it a, a couple of weeks to, to, uh, to, to die off. And then I would, get something whether it be and and again if the plot's small enough and, and you got the energy you know you can get a uh a big rake or something and uh, the main thing is getting it to where you, you have good seed to soil contact yeah and and a seed like clover or or chicory uh it, they're very tiny and really all you need to do is get those in contact with the soil and just kind of mash them in, uh, just to, just to kind of make sure that they have good contact and, and they'll grow. Um, you know, the, the, uh, wheat does pretty good basically on top of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, oats do better, you know, planted about a half inch, an inch, something like that, inch and a quarter deep. Um, but, but, you know, you can you can do that uh, with, you know, with your with your ATV or, or with a, with a, you know, with a rake. Um, is, is it optimum? No. Now, again, as much of a soil freak as I am, I would go tractor supply sells 50 pound sacks ag lime now. And I would go and I mean, they're they're cheap and I would go and, and I would still do some lime um you know especially i mean again if you're in september you're not going to get much benefit of it but if if i'm going to hunt that spot if it's a spot i'm going to probably plant you know year after year yeah um then you know then you think long term too and and so what you're doing now you know will benefit you in the long run absolutely so uh so we were talking about seed mixes and you said you're not a big fan of them right mm-hmm. yeah so tell us why that's right uh and and i know they're they're popular uh they got some great names you know and, and, and uh, some really good and, some and really, all but really uh, colorful packages yeah 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 absolutely absolutely guarantees of of monster bucks but um the reason that i don't is is because like kind of like i was talking about a minute ago um you have seed that needs to be planted uh, an inch, inch and a quarter deep. And then you have seed that just basically needs to have soil contact. So, 
So your your big seeds, your cereal grain like uh, oats and uh, and wheat and uh, winter peas, um, which winter peas is not a cereal grain, but it, but it, uh, it's a big seed. Uh, those need to be turned in a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, and and they need to be good and covered. Uh, your clover and chicory, and I mean, if people do do brassicas, you know, the, the turnips and, and stuff like that, which I, I don't much, but um, but those are all very small seed, and if you cover those, if you plant those an inch to an inch uh, deep, that's too deep. Yeah, and I mean, though you'll have spotty germination, you just won't get the full effect. Uh, so, so even though it's it's twice as much trouble uh, and twice as much time, uh, I go over uh, go over the plot, and I will um, I, I'll put broadcast the the bigger seed, and then I'll come over it and turn it in a little bit. Uh, and I mean, if they, again, if that's a tractor. You know, with your discs just barely in the soil or your tiller just barely in the soil. Or if it's, you know, if I have to go and try to cover it with a hand rake in the woods or whatever, uh, I want I want those big seeds covered. Yeah. And then I'll come back and uh, and I'll uh, scatter, um, you know, I'll, I'll broadcast the small seed and uh, and then just. I mean, I, I have a culti packer that I use that I pull behind my um, my side by side. It's just a plastic, I mean, three hundred fifty buck fill up with water, yeah, uh, uh, deal. And um, and I'll uh, I'll pull over that once I put that small seed out. I'll pull that culti packer over it, and just basically mash it in, and and you know, con- it continues to kind of break up the clods too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have. Before I got a culti packer, I've just run my four wheeler or side by side over it back and forth just to mash it in like that, and yeah. you can do that. Well, um, tell us, uh, you know, in your experience, what's been uh, a popular seed that you'll plant every year, and what's kind of been a bust for you? Yeah, my um, what the what I like, my favorite mix, and and again, I'm thinking if if let's go back to the guy in the, in the woods that's got a rake and a backpack sprayer, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in a small plot, a, a, you know, just a, you know, few square feet, if you will. Um, that guy's probably thinking fall attraction only, yeah. you know, he's not trying to feed the local deer, you know, from then throughout the summer. Um, so, you just you just can't beat oats um is that's my favorite as far as if i had to pick one that that you know is is the best tractor um it, it would be oats and and look i don't you know i mean i i don't get get paid by anybody to mention brands or whatever, but (laughs) I can tell you, I can tell you don't let the, the feed store guy sell you some Bob oats or some Jerry oats or whatever. In the first place, Jerry oats is spring oat. And in the second place, Bob oat is just real peeny. Um, I mean, I, 
I use uh, the buck forage oats. They're mm-hmm. they're more expensive. They're about thirty seven dollars a bag, but I I just haven't found anything that is uh, uh, that is as cold hardy and and just uh, comes up as good as that. Now now um, you know Whitetail Institute and people like that. So I, I I tend to go with the research and go with the bigger names uh, with with oats. Um, now, winter wheat is good, um, and, you know, I pretty much buy it by the by the brown sack in the feed store. I don't know who puts it out, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, and, and that's considerably less expensive, um, and, and it really germinates well, um, and, and uh, you know, and that is my, that is second uh, to oats for me. Gotcha. Now, now, when I'm planning, uh, you know, working with clients or, or planting my own, I'm always thinking, you know, I want those deer. The the our stress periods around here, um, our, our major stress periods are probably first and foremost late summer, and second in the winter. Now, I mean, if you if you that would flip flop if we were up north. Yeah. Um, you know where it got just absolutely bitterly cold but um but you know so and the and the problem is is that when deer season's open uh closes closes in january um and you know most guys close up shop and go home they let their feeders run out and forget about their food plots and whatnot and uh and and that's when the deer need it the most yeah and and so when i'm planting i'm thinking i'm i'm putting in the mix things that will that that will when my oats and wheat start dying uh in the spring then you know i've got something in there like clover and chicory that is just coming on yeah and and will take those deer um through that that period when they're starting to to bucks are starting to grow their antlers and the does are uh carrying fetuses and and uh, and then when they uh you know start needing to produce milk um they really that that late spring uh early summer is just a is a crucial time mm-hmm. um you know and and then and then of course the 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 late winter you know our winter you might say is you know kind of january and february really and and that's the time where um you know it's that's before spring green up and yep uh most of the acorns are gone and they're you know and, and there's just not much they're really pretty much chewing on twigs um, yeah yeah at, at that time so so i want i, I want to provide something for my deer you know as close to year round as I can. So, uh, you know, what I do a lot of, I will plant, uh, I'll plant oats and, and clover, uh, and chicory, uh, a lot. And, um, you know, there's several different varieties of clover. You know, I experiment with all of them. Um, uh, there's, you know, of course the main two types of clover, white and red. Yeah. Um, and the clover, <clears throat> the the white clover, I specifically like Durana clover, um, and it just seems like you know, 
you can come in in this in the spring when you can get in your in your food plots and and uh, you can you can take a bush hog or a pull behind mower or whatever and mow it uh-huh. and it just and it just makes it mad it just really comes back lush <laughs> and um and and so 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 that's a perennial then huh yeah yeah and and what i'll do a lot of times i'll kind of eyeball the perennial stuff mm-hmm. uh you know and again we talk about perennial annual your your cereal grains your oats and clover that's annual they will yeah they, they will come up come up in the fall and they will die uh when the when the heat starts getting to them in the spring gotcha um and they're done uh now your clover and chicory uh will will come on and and i'll eyeball those and see how good they're doing and i have before um i've let them go i've not planted in the fall if 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 those look good uh and they they survive hot summer our our August, July, and and August uh, is brutal yeah. on you know on on all these plants, and uh, so so you'll have at the coldest months of the year that clover will kind of go dormant, and also at the hottest months times of the year that mm-hmm. clover will kind of kind of go dormant. And well, so I'm kind of eyeballing it to watch and see, and if I can carry that clover over, I've carried. You know, some of those uh, I've carried clover plots um, several for several years. Now, now they require if you have a perennial plot, it requires a little bit of maintenance. Um, you know, it may provide it may need some grass control, which there's things you can spray over clover. You can spray uh, uh, grass specific herbicides over that clover. Yeah. And, and it won't kill it. Uh, and then you pretty much control your broadleaf stuff growing up through there with a mower. Gotcha. Uh, you know, bush hog or, or uh, you know, I've got a bush hog, but I've also I do a lot of stuff on my small, hard-to-get places with a pull-behind um, yeah. mower that I pull behind my uh, side-by-side. Well, what, what should people stay away from when it comes to, to food plot uh, seeds and, and things like that. Which, what would you suggest they not waste their time or money on? For well, the, and, for and you here? know, when I, when I say this, I, any of this stuff that I'm telling you, I, you know, I, is based on my experience, mm-hmm. and and there will always be. I'm not saying that's the best way. The only way I'm not necessarily saying it's the best way. I'm saying right now at this stage of my <laughs> of yeah. my game, that's where I'm at. Uh, and, you know, I, there's there's things that I said five years ago that I I kind of laugh at today, and, then, <laughs> and and probably in five years I'll laugh at some things you know I'm saying today. But uh, but uh, you know, the brassica stuff, the radishes, um, and, and and kale, and and uh, you know that's kind of all. A lot of that stuff is lumped into brassica group. Um, and, and a lot of, uh, you see a lot of food plot seeds sold there. Um, I just don't see much utilization on that now. And, and every once in a while, look, every once in a while, I'll run across somebody that says, oh my gosh, I planted radishes or turnips, uh, or, you know, and, and they just absolutely killed it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and so, 
so that, that, you know, and it could be true. Um, I do believe that there is a couple things. One, there, there is a pretty good learning curve for a deer on a new food source. And I mean, I've seen them come out and as far as I know, the first time they're exposed to wheat or oats will drop their head and start eating. Yeah. Um, now I have seen the, the brassica fields, uh, plots look beautiful, but they're knee high and they're knee high for a reason. Uh, you know, and, yeah. and uh, uh, but, and it just seems like, uh, you know, and everybody says, well, it takes time. They have to, you know, the first year you probably won't, uh, you know, they won't eat it much. And, and then the second year you'll start seeing, well, fully on that. I don't have time for that. And I'm not yeah. going to waste my money, uh, you know, planting it. If, you know, I mean, when I know what they will eat. Um, and secondly, I, and this is opinion, I, I believe that the brassicas work better uh, up north in the colder climates. Um you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, they talk about the, the cold weather, um, you know, increases the, the sugars, yeah, uh, the turns the starches to yeah. sugars or whatever, you know, I just, um, I, I just think that they, that they, and a lot of people plant, I mean, you can't argue that some, you know, highly successful people plant, plant mm-hmm. that stuff. That's a mainstay of their, of their food plots. But, um, but I just don't see it work very well here well when when you do a food plot do you um do you fence off an area to kind of get a perspective uh not sorry not a perspective get a um comparison between an un untouched area of the food plot and then something that the deer have been eating on hopefully yeah the the uh the enclosures um you know just little um you know three foot by three foot caged off areas mm-hmm. um are are really important and really uh for for a number of reasons but but the main thing is is that it'll show you um it, it shows you how much your plot is being utilized um and and uh there's nothing from a deer geek's perspective there is nothing like looking out and seeing that plot just hammered and real short yeah and looking in your enclosures and and your utilization cages is what we call them and and looking in those in those things and it's you know eight or ten inches high yeah um and and, you know you got you know and and so you know that they're hammering it whereas uh i have seen people before they put in a utilization cage um think that well you know, I mean, I, I'm sitting here and it, uh, either number one, they'll think their stuff isn't growing or mm-hmm. number two, because it all looks the same. They'll think the deer aren't eating it. Yeah. And, but those utilization cages really show you. So, I mean, for good or for whether they, they show favorably or not favorably, uh, you know, it's really good to see and it's a good gauge. So, so Kevin, tell us, is, is there any, before we move on to, like baiting and supplemental feed and things like that. Is there anything else that we should, we should kind of wrap up on the food plot segment? Cause we've got a lot of great information from you tonight. 
Yeah, there's one other area, Connor, that I think is really important. And, uh, you know, again, this is this is to the guy who wants to go and, and take a soil sample and, and do it right. Um, on that soil sample, it'll tell you, as we talked about, uh, how much fertilizer you need mm-hmm. and what it'll, it, and it'll break it down, um, you know, of, of how much, um, you know, how much nitrogen, how much phosphorus and potassium you need, you know, NPK on mm-hmm. the fertilizer bags. And, um, and so, uh, phosphorus, for example, I find that, that our soils are pretty phosphorus deficient. Um, and so, so your soil sample may say you need, you know, for clover that, that, um, that builds nitrogen in the soil, um, it may say you don't need any nitrogen, no N. Um, but phosphorus usually will always, no matter what you're planting, uh, you know, it may require a hundred pounds per acre at least. So, and, and so that's usually the biggest number. And so I say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to target that. I'm going to try to get a hundred pounds of phosphorus out there. And if I do that, I know the nitrogen and potassium will be taken care of. Then you say, all right, you, you say, I need 100 pounds of phosphorus, and you're looking at this 50-pound sack of triple 13, and, you and you know, that's got nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in it, and you're saying, okay, how does that convert? Well, yeah, how do I, exactly. How do, how do I get what I need? And, and uh, there's a lot of confusion about that. Um, you know, some may think, okay, I've got a 50-pound sack of fertilizer here. I need 100 pounds of, of phosphorus per acre two sacks of fertilizer will get me. That'll be a hundred pounds. Um, no, that's, that's way off. Um, some may say, okay, there's, it's triple 13 is, you know, so there's 13 pounds of, uh, of, of each, uh, nutrient in there, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and no, that's not it either. Uh, what people Okay, so the 13 and triple 13, that means 13% nitrogen, 13% phosphorus, and 13% potassium. Mm-hmm. So that's a percentage. It won't ever be 100% because of the fillers and other nutrients that are in there. A lot of filler. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but so you're trying to figure out how much phosphorus is in a bag of triple 13. You got to remember you'd say, okay, well, there's 13, there's 13 pounds. No, it's 13%. And that 13% is based on a hundred pounds, uh, not 50 pounds that's in that sack. And okay. they, and they do it by the hundred pounds for farmers who put out, you know, fertilize in bulk and, and don't necessarily do the 50 pound sack thing. But so in a, instead of, if it was if it was 13 percent but on 100 pounds you know you would think well that's that's 13 pounds but when you say well there's only 50 then there's half of that and it's only six and a half pounds yeah so when you and i hope i hope that it it sounds really complicated and i i I guess it it can't be if i understand it but (laughs) uh but uh but so so then somebody, and, and this is where the heartbreak comes in to really doing it right. 
because then you realize, all right, this 50-pound sack of triple 13 that cost me, I don't know what, 13, I don't know, several dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only got six and a half pounds here. Yeah, you need 100 pounds of phosphorus. And, and I need 100 pounds. Yeah, you need it, a lot of bags. You know, yeah, and that's and that's per acre. And, and if you, you know, now most people, I mean, you know, most people have a quarter, you know, a quarter acre, a half acre, maybe. Uh, and, you know, but, but if you've got, um, you know, like me, uh, you know, and, and some of my other clients, um, you know, have several acres, uh, it gets really expensive. Oh, yeah. And, and, but the, but the thing is, you know, there's, there's a little bit of math to do there to to get it right and uh, you know like i said it's it, it's it gets kind of confusing and people end up way short yeah. uh, they they may get their lime right and get their ph right and, and and then they end up way short on fertilizer just because they you know they don't know how it's really measured yeah interesting okay well uh another reason to be a feed tree hunter <laughs> save money <laughs> that's funny i didn't realize it cost that much I, i've got you know we were talking um we we're talking a couple of days ago and i was telling you I, i'm not a i'm not a deer lease guy mm-hmm. um and uh you know i you know not to sound ugly or anything but i've just heard too many horror stories about grown <laughs> grown men bickering over who shot their deer and you know who's yep. who's staying there hunting in and and then the, and then the most embarrassing part for me is um I've got a close friend of mine that he hunts in Alabama he's got some family that they lease a couple hundred acres of land and every year they have some work weekends and and then they they start doing food plots and they do this they do the fertilizer and the lime and the seed and all that and then they split up all the costs between I don't know seven of them or something and it might come out to sixty to sixty five dollars a person sometimes. And, and I'm telling, yeah. I'm telling you, it will rip that family apart over $65 if somebody does not pay. And, yeah. and let me tell you, yeah. I would rather pay, I would rather pay the full price of a lease by myself and save up all year to do it and have it alone or with a very select few people that I would share it with and avoid all that BS, then deal with that because... Yeah, and when you do, you don't have to take a vote when you do something. Exactly, yeah, you don't take a vote. And then, well, and, and yeah. so, I mean, here, here's some other things. Now, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, kind of hitting on my own pet peeve of being negative and a naysayer, but I cannot stand people that don't follow their own rules, meaning mm-hmm. um, you're going to hold members to a certain expectation of what they can and can't shoot you're going to find them mm-hmm. if they break the rules but the whole week of thanksgiving five of my family members are going to come and they can shoot whatever they want because i'm the president and so yeah. i don't deal well with that type i don't deal well with that type of stuff in life um at yeah. all i'm i'm too uh, opinionated and i'm not reserved and nobody mm-hmm. has ever accused me of not giving my opinion and, um, I don't deal well with that stuff. And so, yeah. you know, my avoidance of, you know, buying into a hunting club, you know, one that's been in existence for a while and is a mash of uh, a bunch of different people and personalities and backgrounds. I won't do it. Be- not because, mm-hmm. not because of them, not because they're bad people, not because it's a bad thing. It's because I know I don't, I don't mesh well in that environment. 
Um, it's for the same reason that I was never a waiter. <laughs> I can't put yeah. up with I can't put up with people's bullshit like that and <laughs> smile. Right, I just can't do it. And so um, I love hunting public land, and I would mm-hmm. rather put up with a hundred other strangers over twenty thousand acres. Maybe I'm sure more than that, um, because depending on what piece of public land we're talking about. They are legally bound to certain regulations, such as weapons and, of course, feeding, and they can't feed, they can't bathe, they can't do any of that stuff. They're, they're legally bound to the same uh, hunting regulations that I am, and there's no yep. exceptions to that. You know, right. you can't, you know, you can't say, oh, you can't feed and you can't bait and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, on public land, they have 50 pounds of corn out somewhere that doesn't, that doesn't happen. And so, mm-hmm. um, Anyway, uh, I love public land for that reason. I'm also, like I've said a few times now, a feed tree hunter. Um, I have never personally had a dependence on supplemental food sources or human-provided food sources like that. I've tried it. It's ended up hurting me more than helping me. Uh, And if you want kind of some in-depth discussion about that, check out our small tract hunting episode. Um, It's Mm -hmm. It's the, I think you told me you listened to that and yeah, and uh, that's that was my experience with with baiting on public land. It it, it scares them off more than it, hurt, it helps. Um, yeah, and we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. this whole food plot thing, this is brand new for me. Uh, that, you know, people listening that have been listening to a lot of episodes, this is probably the most reserved I've been. <laughs> <laughs> on any episode, I, I think I've let you talk 95 to five, you know? Uh, and, and it's because in the, actually the only other episode like this might be like Betsy Duchois, who was telling me scientifically everything about deer that I and all the listeners may not have known. Um, yeah, yeah. and so I'm absorbing yeah. it all. Cause I would love to, I would love to be able to use it one day myself. I'd love to have a piece of property where it's, you know, me and one or two other people and highly mm-hmm. managed and, and all of that. But until then, uh, I'm going to keep banging it out on public land and trying to find the pinch points and the, the, the food sources and, and, you know, the funnels and killing that way, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, let me, let me tell you, Kyle, I, I, I respect you public land guys. You guys are the killers. You know, I, I, I believe that I can, I can grow food plots and I can, and, and, and wildlife trees and, and, and I can, can landscape a property to where a deer will want to spend time there. Mm-hmm. I never said that I was, you know, that I'm, that I'm the greatest hunter or whatever, but you, <laughs> you public land guys, y'all are the killers, man. I respect y'all. Uh, and, and a funny story real quick. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I went to, uh, to Tinsaw, got invited to Tinsaw with, with a couple of friends that I go to church with. And, um, and, you know, they, they hunt there every year. And, uh, so, you know, it was, we, we took our bows. It was in the, um, it's in the late season, but they rut over there. You oh know, yeah. They're pretty late. Yeah. Christmas time. And, uh, Christmas yeah, time yeah. on. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I was fired up and, and, uh, so what I learned, it's amazing how organized, uh, you have to be. Mm-hmm. to 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 throw on a, a climber on on your back and get your bow and have your backpack and how organized you need to be to take off you know i'm a guy that's uh very you know i'm a i'm a guy that kind of uh you know hunts um you know close to home uh 
you know, parts my truck, you know, it's not ever a far walk or whatever, but, uh, yeah. but to, to strap on the, the climber and, and you bow and all that and take off and walk a half a mile or a mile, whatever in the, you know, in the, uh, the pre-dawn darkness, um, that that is that was a new thing for me. well <laughs> I mean, and i mean it's you, not like i've never climbed or you know and i mean i i do and and have lock ons and whatnot you've uh, also got but, you've got to have you could say maybe a lower threshold of of uh you know what makes a hunt successful um yeah. it isn't always killing a deer it isn't always seeing a deer maybe it's just you didn't see another person and it's a saturday mm-hmm. and it's not gun season or it is gun season you know, God, God bless. Yeah. If it is gun season and you're bow hunting on public land on a Saturday and you don't see anybody, <laughs> yeah. stay there. You, yeah. you're in a That's great. Right. You're either in a great spot or you are in a terrible spot. <laughs> you know, right. the, you're in a. Funny. You put yourself yeah, in a gar hole or you put yourself in a, in in a, right. you know a haven where nobody's gonna nobody's gonna walk up on you. Um, well, and it it amazes me to what people will go through. For instance, funny story. I we on that trip. Uh, we had kind of stayed, you know, none of us really, I mean, those guys went, had been over there a couple of times before, but, but none of us really knew, you know, where to go or whatever. And so, you know, it's one of those deals you park on the gravel road and you kind of start walking yeah. and looking and, and you end up, you think you've walked a long way, but you're really not that far off the road. And we piddled around there for a couple of days and, and, you know, I was looking uh, at the map and Google Earth and whatnot, and and there was this buy that ran from the, and it was a, a a mile off of the off of the road, and I said, man, you know, um, that's where those bucks will be running up and down that buy, you know, and, and uh, following that, and and that's where I need to go, and so uh, I, I head head off headed off one one uh, one one evening, I think, and and uh. uh I walked all the way back in there. Well, little did I know that a couple of guys had come in by boat. <laughs> and so, and I didn't know it, but I climbed a tree n- not a hundred yards from where their boat was beached. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there hunting and I look up and here comes a guy dragging a little doe. <laughs> you know, I'm yep. like, how did you get here? He said, I came by boat. And oh I said, yeah. Good Lord. So, so the next morning, you know, he was hunting. So he's hunting up closer to the gravel road where I come from. And I'm hunting back closer to the by, you know, by the by where he came from. And so we kind of high five as we walk by each other and pass in the darkness the next morning, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, I did that. I did that. Um, last well, let me think it rained all last friday and saturday on the 8th which is good because it was my daughter's birthday on a saturday and um so i couldn't hunt anyway but sunday it stopped raining it, it, it stopped raining at 5 a.m sunday morning after three straight days of raining and i don't mean misting and you know light rain i mean like we got like six inches five six inches yeah. of rain and um so sunday was the day Right, that was that was the killing day. When it stops raining right before it gets light, and you can be in the woods, and they're going to get up, and start walking around. That's the day to do yep. it. And Absolutely. and so I had a <laughs> I had a camera set up on a um, crawfish levee, a little levee uh, in the woods, and it was bef- before it rained that torrential downpour. It you you could tell it was a swamp with uh, uh, what did Greg Gravall call it? Pythene grass. We call it pepper yeah. grass, which uh, 
That's now two episodes in a row we're talking about peppergrass if you listen to this week's episode. But it's got that that yellow greenish swamp grass that's always in the you know the Tupelo and Cypress Swamp and the low water areas and then um yep. it, so it had some of that on one side of the levee and on the other side of the levee was established oak ridge, straight line, white oaks, red oaks, um whatnot. And I set up a camera a couple of weeks back over a a dip in the levee and a very obvious deer trail. And, um, like I said, I set it up there prior to the rain coming when you could walk on either side of the levee, no problem. Well, (laughs) primitive weapon season has been going on and I went and checked my camera on Sunday and I was pretty excited because it's been about two or three weeks since I checked it. And I had, I think 15 pictures of deer and hogs, probably 150 pictures of hunters. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, but, because but at least when your camera was still there yeah i couldn't I, that's <laughs> i said that twice to myself they, they i had two groups of people that looked right up at it and um just went on their way you know well, and, and i I'm, I'm i'm proud proud of them i, yeah, I want to be like yeah, thank exactly. you for that you know um but uh i mean i took the camera down i, I did not realize there was that much activity back there but what happened was when the water came up it was the first time that people that knew about this area could get there by boat. And it just so happened that that little dip in the levee that wasn't that obvious when the water was receded was kind of like the boat parking spot when the water was up on the west side of the levee. <laughs> and and so I'm telling you, I had, I had, I, I mean, uh, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of hunters and it was you know three or four groups over a couple of days but it was like they just st- it was their staging area this deer trail which is clearly a deer trail you I mean, you could not walk up on it and mistake it for anything else they're you know unloading their gear and putting their rifle cases there the whole time um <laughs> you know packing their deer stands putting their bags on the ground sitting down you know i'm like <laughs> yeah. right, right before y'all came had a lot of deer crossing yep. right here you know um but it, it is what it is like i said i would rather deal with that than a bunch of bickering men that mm-hmm. have a, an ego clash against each other and and have, deal with some of the jealousy that I've seen in some clubs. I'm just that's that isn't for me. It, I, I didn't grow up in that. Um, I was never in a club growing up. I, I didn't start deer hunting until I was um, pretty much in my twenties. And for me, deer hunting, my definition of deer hunting, it's, it's a very, since I'm a bow hunter, it's singular. It is it it is not this camaraderie filled event. That's that's duck hunting to me. You know, um, that's where you have the, you know, the, the, you know, drink all night and campfire and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's duck hunting for me. That's the social side of hunting. Hunting for me is very much like lone wolf style. And, and I say that with an asterisk because I was talking with Chad Abair about this a few weeks back. There's some, there's honestly nothing more rewarding. Uh, well, maybe not rewarding is the right word. There's nothing more comforting, if I'm just going to use that word, than knowing that you have a friend in the woods, even if he's 600 yards away from you. It's it's probably my favorite time to bow hunt 
is not when I'm in the stand with somebody or in the same tree as somebody, but when we're covering a 300 acre section between the two of us, you know, and I don't care if it's a yeah. rifle, a yeah. bow, crossbow, muzzleloader, it doesn't matter to me. You bet. It's, it, even though we aren't together, um, it's probably my favorite time to hunt is when I have one and two, three, four people's even better where we go in as a unit split off. We all do our independent scouting. We all check a tree or so we all find a tree that we, we each want to hunt separate from each other and we cover a big area. And that's the only time that I like majorly enjoy deer hunting, uh, in not kill anything is um is when i have my friends or people i know in the woods and even to the point i'll tell you this because we're kind of getting off topic i'm going to pull it back here in a second i have um i've been known to kind of like i've never met a stranger in my life i'm in sales i'm in sales for a long time i'll talk to anybody about anything but i i've been known to if if i see a guy getting out of his truck and it's in relatively the same area as i want to hunt I'll go up to him and I'll be like, hey, man, I'm hunting by myself. You're hunting by yourself. Let me get your number. If something happens, we at least we have each other, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, if you get hurt or you kill a deer, I'll help you drag it out, vice versa. I have never a single time had somebody tell me to, like, F off or go away, no thanks. Because the reality is is that we all want that comfort of somebody else that's nearby in case something were to happen, good or bad, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it isn't about yeah. me hunting close to you. In fact, maybe we were going to the same spot and, hey, I, you, you, know, you go there this time and I won't mess you up. I'll, I'll shortstop and I'll go to this other area, but at least we'll be close. And, you know, that's where friendships come from. And, you know, you, you get lifelong friends that way. But, um, mm-hmm. well, look, let me <laughs> let me pull it back. I got kind of off tangent there. Let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about um, t- a topic that you brought up that. Prior to you saying this, I just hadn't given it much thought. Give me, give me your opinion on what you call baiting versus supplemental mm-hmm. feeding. I think that's going to be a good topic for people. What's the difference between the two of those things? Sure, and, and you know, this is really—I've really seen this coming up in heated conversations a lot since the CWD thing mm-hmm. has has started. Um. You know, people, you know, of course, they they uh, uh, immediately jump up and ban <clears throat> ban um, baiting or feeding. Yeah. Uh, in in the areas, the counties or parish, well, you know, when counties in Mississippi and mm-hmm. we had a couple of them here, parishes over near there. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and inevitably the conversation will start Um you know, the people who don't feed will say, well, well that's good. We need to. We need to stop it. It'll be better hunting, and <laughs> yeah, you know, and they they won't all die, and uh, and you know, and and then you got you know, so so an argument kind of ensues, and the thing, and I started to post. I don't remember it was on some discussion board. I think I, it might, and it might have been Facebook. I you know, um, but uh, but I started to post, and then I just never did. But you know, there's a big difference in baiting and supplemental feeding um baiting is strictly done to bring deer to the gun or bow i mean that is um you know normally you would you would start 
at the beginning of beginning of hunting season, or, yeah. or or just just enough time before hunting season to allow them to to find it and and get to get to eating it. It's lure, um, luring, right? Yeah, yeah, and and then and then you know once you kill your deer or or season ends or whatever, then you know you're you're done and uh, never give it another thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what baiting really is um now supplemental feeding on the other hand is uh is done i mean you know now don't get me wrong all of this stuff uh whether it's food plots uh you know propagating natural forage or planting wildlife trees all that i mean you know all of it is really done in a sense to give us quality hunts and i mean granted killing the buck or whatever kill, putting venison in the freezer is the period on the end of the sentence of course, okay yeah granted that's that's right um but but supplemental feeding is more concerned with the well-being of the deer and to get deer to hang around your area your property or you know maybe even stand on a yeah. hunting club all year um and so and it's very expensive uh, it it is really expensive to feed, you know, to it's, feed all year. You know, I, I'll tell you, I've got a few friends that do this, and uh, after hearing them and how passionate they are about it, and you know why they do it, and um, it it truly is like a secondary hobby to hunting. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like another level of uh, enthusiast uh, into the mm-hmm. process. It it isn't. It, it no longer puts killing a deer at the forefront of their goals. Um, the forefront of their goals is to see a healthier herd or maybe the healthiest herd that they could have, you know? Yep. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to say that because, you know, baiting something we do t- to get a quick result, I think um, supplemental mm-hmm. is a timeline approach. It is the long game when you say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me kind of, show tell you how that looks for me uh in in any of my clients that choose to to do so um so i will um let's just say uh all right right now through the winter uh a deer what a deer needs is energy um a, a deer you know bucks during the rut and 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 all and does and does in trying to get trying to get away from the bucks and the rut whatever yeah. um but what they need during this time of the year is digestible energy they need carbohydrates and so corn don't you know don't ever let anybody tell you that feeding deer corn is like feeding them lettuce well really well you know they eat in corn fields in nebraska and it's awesome yeah. food so mm-hmm. you know um and just because it's not straight off the cob doesn't mean it's not corn and and doesn't have the same nutritional value. Yeah. What corn is 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 like I said, it's it's energy, it's digestible energy. They need it uh, during this time of year. And so I, you know, I'm in my free choice feeders. I don't have spinners because you can't put a grain of nothing on the ground here without uh, the piggies coming in and, and yeah, the raccoons, up the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, so I've got free choice feeders up, you know, at deer's level. And, and of course, the pigs get what they, what them and the coons rake off but uh, and leave behind. But, 
but uh, we've got corn in them now, and in, uh, in starting in um, probably uh, late February, probably March, and you know we're getting in the spring. I'll start incorporating uh, protein uh, in with that, um, and um, you know there's there's a lot of um, different protein pellets or you know on the market yeah uh and, and you know i'll i mean you don't you know and you can get carried away with those uh deer only need about deer can only utilize about 16 to 18 percent protein so these feeds with 30 percent protein or whatever is kind of a waste but anyway yeah um so i'll start incorporating protein in with that corn and as the as the time progresses and we get on into the summer, the deer do not need that hot energy in the summer. They don't. That what they need is they need protein. Mm-hmm. The bucks are growing their antlers. If you think about it, um, tissue or bone development uh, needs needs the protein. So so the bucks are growing their antlers. The does are are either carrying fetuses or producing milk for their fawns. So. So they start needing protein during those times, that time of the year. Mm-hmm. And so I'll start and slowly get to where by, you know, by summer, um, I'm just about straight protein if the deer will eat it. Now, the deer don't like that protein feed as, as a rule as much as they do corn. Um, but, you know, and I may mix either corn or some, uh, you know, there's other little think buck wild and different names of but but it smells sweet you know and and, uh yeah and and you know maybe has some soybean mixed in with it or whatever but um i'll if i have to to get them to to eat it i'll mix some of that in there but but by 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 late summer you know by or mid to late summer i'm strictly protein Mm -hmm. uh and then so towards the fall I'll start doing the reverse. I'll start incorporating a little bit of corn, mixing it with the protein. And, and so, and, and I, and I introduce that corn back slowly. Uh, and so by the time hunting season rolls around by, I mean, you know, probably by November, I'm pretty much straight corn mm-hmm. again. Um, you know, and, and, a lot of people don't know that that you know um changing a deer's diet drastically um and and you know feeding them um that hot energy source you know all at once introducing them if you know if they eat a lot of it um there's it can it can give them what is called acidosis and what that is is there's a the deer being ruminants have um have microorganisms in their rumen uh that if you if you introduce that hot food uh and i don't mean hot as in spicy but that energy hot energy source we call it hot yeah um it, it, it too fast it can it can we've talked about ph and food plots but it can disrupt the ph in their rumen and kill those microorganisms that they depend on uh, you know for different bodily functions so uh you know it can it can really 
adversely affect the deer. Interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. You know, and then and then and then at, at, when hunting season's over with, they pull the plug and, and let it, you know, and then they go to nothing. So, yeah, but, yeah, and then um, they go back to having to, you know, chew on twigs and you know, yep, try, chew on twigs try, until spring. That's trying right. to, but, trying but to that's find the difference green. in in baiting and supplemental feeding. And I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, a lot of the argument that really needs to be said. Um, yeah, there's a big difference and, 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 you know, people get the two just kind of mashed together and, and it's really not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good point that you made and it's something that we don't give a lot of thought to. Um, you know, I think maybe something else I'll throw in about supplemental feeding is that a lot of times, um, like we've talked about this with David DeLucci, we've talked about this with Travis Links, we've talked about it with, um, with Frank Sullivan, uh, a lot of times what they're doing is they're feeding year round and uh, they have these feeders in areas that they, they don't go into it. Um, yep. and, and the, and the reason why is cause they don't want, um, they don't want the deer to become, uh, sure. Timid of the feeder, right? They don't want them to feel as if they're walking into a kill zone. But number two, uh, th- when you have, you could almost say an internal uninterrupted deer sanctuary in the middle of your property, that is a, a great safeguard against your deer leaving and going to other pieces of property um, for food and, and being pulled off by somebody else. You know, absolutely. Now, very you, important. You can't affect much of anything uh, during the rut for a deer. Um, you're not mm-hmm. going to keep a deer in a certain area during that time. He's he's going to go wherever his uh, his his nose yeah. and, <laughs> and something else pulls <laughs> him. You know, but. Uh, you know, as far as supplemental feeding goes, a lot of times the hunting strategies of people around a supplemental feeder is to actually kind of hunt the the perimeter of that area and hunt the trails leading up to them, but never to hunt actually over that feeder. Um, sure. And, and true, you know, true supplemental feeding, you want that deer to take in the nutrients of whatever you're putting out unmolested and you yeah. want him to eat as much as possible. You don't want to to make that feeder you don't want him to associate danger with that feeder of course yeah and so so not only is that but you want him to eat all that he can that he will consume uh because again it's it's you know in a sense it's more about the deer than it is than it is you killing something yeah you know although i mean you still it's again it's all about quality hunting experience i understand that but uh, but well, that's right. You, you know, I, I don't hunt um, over over my feeders on on my property. I have them, you know, they're in the area. But I mean, I don't sit there and watch them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of people that uh, that when they get into bow hunting, or maybe they get a crossbow and they want to hunt during archery season. Um, a lot of times, they're deer hunting with a bow the exact same way that they would deer hunt with a rifle, meaning they're sitting on top of their food plot or they're sitting Mm -hmm. 25, you know, 50 yards from a feeder or something like that. And, um, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. A lot of what makes up a bow hunter isn't the weapon. It's not what they're shooting. 
it's the strategy and it's the proximity. That's all it is. Um, yeah. It doesn't. I mean, you can have an atletal, you can have a muzzle loader, you can have a two seventy if you're going to shoot it at, at a deer at at twenty five yards. But it's a bow hunting to me is about getting into the deer's living room, into that area where it isn't walking out with his ears pinned back and his tail tucked and feeling like he's vulnerable. You know, some of the best deer hunts I've ever been on is when I shoot a deer that uh, walks out as confidently as as you could imagine into an area where in, in his or her mind, there is no danger there. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why he thinks or she thinks that there's no danger there is because it's never been proven to them that there is any danger. So when you sneak into their living room and you shoot them, 100 or 200 yards from their bedding area into an area where they never ever stage up and you know uh you know kind of are timid to walk out and all that stuff that's that's the when it all comes together and you can do that hunting food sources um but when you're baiting like I said in the small track hunting episode a lot of times you're you're showing all your cards you're you're giving away your presence you are an immediate threat. You are something that is uh, a brand new uh, addition to an area, not a good one. And um, you'll shut them down or they'll leave a lot of times. But mm-hmm. you could take that same 25 acres and if you put a feeder up in the middle of it and supplemental feed and never ever hunt it but hunt 50 or 80 or 100 yards away from it, I bet you'd kill a lot of deer. You know, if you hunt Well, and not only that, but you, you'll you know, you got a chance of killing that mature buck. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got to have, it, it, it doesn't take one or two times at a feeder for a dealer deer to feel comfortable. It is weeks, months, maybe. I mean, it might be 25 times that a deer eats there before he or she starts to realize like, Hey, this is okay. You know, there's, I haven't been spooked or, I mean, deer don't think over long terms like that, but you know, they're, they, they are reactive creatures, right? Mm-hmm. They are going yep. to be a product of their environment and, and the uh, variable to their environment is you and you can be a good variable or you can be a bad one. And a lot of times when you're trying to hunt over bait, I'm not saying you're not going to kill anything over a pile of corn. Trust me, I've done it. Um, but I guarantee you that deer didn't just walk up to it and start eating without a, a single care in the world. And you started feeding three days ago. You know? Yeah, I always say there's nothing, there's, there's nothing harder to kill over a corn pile than a mature doe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, I, and I used to do when I... Uh, you know, on, on a couple of clubs that I was on years ago, I used to do what I call run and gun. Mm-hmm. I would take a five gallon bucket of corn in and, uh, you know, and, and scatter it out. And when I noticed it, you know, uh, the, looked like the deer were eating it. That was Lord, that was before we were even using cameras. <laughs> um, you know, so, so you're, you know, you're hoping it's deer could be, could be coons, could be hogs, but you know, you try to look at the sign and, and when deer start eating it, then I would go in and climb, um, and, and, or, or put lock on whatever I needed to do and hunt that. And, um, usually, you know, I gave myself, um, one encounter with the deer and, you know, invariably the question is, are they going to come in? Are they going to come in when I can see or not? You know, when they're yeah. going to come in and shoot light or, or not, that's yeah, the big yeah. question. Absolutely. And, 
you know it's going to be close, and you know they're going to come in like they're walking on eggshells, and you know super cautious, and the and the big doe is going to circle around and try to you know, and uh, and I would give if I if I spooked them or if they you know, and, and of course not only that, but then they come in when it's too late. And then you're sitting there. Then you're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get down and bust them. So if that ever happened, I would, I would allow that one time I'd either kill that deer or a deer. Um, but if I busted them, if I didn't see anything, I might come back, you know, if it was just a bad day or whatever. But if I didn't, if, if I busted those deer, I was gone and took my five gallon bucket elsewhere, you know I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, and, and that's what it is. And I just kind of got tired of that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd lot rather, um, kind of hunt them like you're talking about you know when i'm in the woods um with my bow uh in kind of that unpressured yeah um natural state yeah absolutely absolutely well um look kevin let's uh let's start to wrap it up man you got anything else that you want to add before we uh we end today's show well you know the other the other two things that that we didn't talk about much is uh you know the the three things you need to provide the deer uh, on your property or, or food, which you talked about a lot. Um, they need water, which you can provide uh, just like supplemental feed. Uh, you can provide that in tanks or whatever if you don't have it naturally occur on your property. Uh, but don't make them leave your property and go a mile to get to get water. That's mm-hmm. too easy to, to keep there. Uh, and then also um, secure cover. Uh, and that secure part is very important. Um, when I set up a plan for a property, uh, you know, I will try to design a system with, that, that offers low impact hunting. And that basically means you hunt the deer without the deer knowing they're being hunted. And not all properties render themselves to that very well. But, uh, but in, in, in areas that do, uh, that is super important and you can, you can hunt that stand time and time again, uh, without, without them spooking. But, but the thing is that they need to feel secure on your property. And, and if they do that, you'll start to see, uh, an increase in deer numbers on your property as hunting season rolls around, uh, you know, goes, goes on through yeah. and, and other properties start getting pressured. Um, you know, you'll, you'll start actually seeing, seeing more deer, uh, coming to your property instead of the other way around. If you were also applying pressure. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I think that's a great point. Well, um, well, look, man, let's, let's wrap it up. I, uh, I appreciate you being on the show this week and, uh, I'd like to have you on again cause you sent me some good topics, uh, that I think we should cover in the future, uh, about land management and, um, kind of, uh, realistic expectations of a, a deer herd in Louisiana, um, and things like that. So, uh, you know, real informative episode tonight. I think our listeners learned a lot. I know I learned a lot. Um, and, uh, I really appreciate you being on. Well, I really appreciate you having me. I love to talk about it. I'm passionate. I love to, um, you know, not only do I make my living, uh, consulting, but, um, but, I love to teach people what I know and, and yeah. not to say I know it all. Absolutely. But, but I love to, to talk about it. So, so Kevin, tell us, tell us your business name again. Tell us how people can get in touch with you if they have any questions or if they want some of your, uh, some of your expertise on their property. 
Sure. Uh, our business is Forest Land Associates, LLC. Uh, we have a website, www.forestland.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best way to get me is on my cell. Uh, is, it's 318-312-1240. Um, give me a call if I can help you. All right. Well, man, you have a good night. Thanks for coming on and staying on with us. It's been a good episode. Thank you, Kyler. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you. So thank you so much for your support. We'll see y'all next week.